Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Good evening. It's, um, it's a real joy to be here kicking off a new teaching series this evening. Uh, and this series really is very much grounded in these verses that we just heard in, in Romans chapter 12. Um, the trouble, of course, with, with reading uh, anything in the middle of, uh, of a book of the Bible is that it's a bit like jumping into a film halfway through. It's a bit hard to sort of make sense of what's going on sometimes unless you've actually seen the first part of it. Um, now, I, I kind of considered asking Isaiah to read chapters 1 to 11 to you. I thought it would be a little bit harsh um, on, on him, and we'd be here all night as well. So um, let me just instead give you a quick summary of, of what's come before. Essentially, Paul has been uh, explaining the gospel, saying how we as human beings are fallen, we have sinned and turned away from God, how God sent the law to show uh, his way of living, but the law was powerless to save us. But at the right time, Jesus comes as the sacrifice for our sin, to stand in our place and take the judgment that we deserved, uh, so that we might receive in, uh, in return his righteousness, so that we might be able to say that now for any of us who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation. And so Paul is now saying, in light of, of all of this, in view of the mercies of God that he has spent 11 chapters outlining and explaining. How then are we to live? What should our response be? And you'll know that Paul doesn't say, well, because, because of all that God has done for you, now you really owe him. Now you really ought to do things properly. You, you should live the right way. No, Paul says that the right response to the gospel is to worship. It's to worship God. But Paul is not talking about getting out the guitars here. He says that the way that we are called to, to worship is by offering our bodies as living sacrifices, by, by giving everything that, that we are for the glory of God. And, and that means that one consequence of this is that we we will need to live in a different way to the people in the world around us. Because uh, in the world, people around us worship things other than God. This is what Paul is saying in Romans 1, where, where it all goes wrong in the beginning, where we exchange the glory of God for created things. And so it is, it is very easy for us to... Um, to, to live passively. When, when we're swimming in the waters of the culture around us, it's very uh, easy to get pulled along by that current, to, to assume that what we see around us is normal and natural and to absorb those values and those ways of thinking. And Paul's saying we need to, to, to stand against that, not be conformed to that way of thinking, but, but be renewed in our minds. Let the truth of the gospel shape us and not let... Uh, the way the world thinks shape us. And, 
That is really what this teaching series is all about, looking at all kinds of different uh, aspects and saying, in light of the gospel, how should we as, as God's people think about these different things and how should we then live as a, as a result of that? And you may remember we did a survey at the end of last year and asked you uh, what, what you'd like us to talk about, what the top topics are that we should be addressing. And, and today we're looking at what, is, what was the number two issue uh, that you voted for in this survey, which is our phones and, uh, and, and other related devices. Um, now, I, I'm conscious that this is a, a, a challenging this is a big topic that's going to be very difficult to give justice to in, uh, in about 20 minutes. For, for a start, because amongst all of you here, there will be many different experiences that, that you have and your sort of the way that you relate to your phones. For some of you, this is literally a telephone that you can, can take out of the house when you want to make calls. That's kind of basically what it is. And, and also you can maybe play solitaire on it. You know, that, that's virtually all it is to you. But for others of us, um, this is like perhaps you know, the most important tool in, in your life. There was a, there was a survey uh, in the US recently asking people about their, uh, how important phones were to them. And, 72% of people who answered this survey said they couldn't imagine going more than a weekend without their mobile phone. And 23%, nearly a quarter of people, believe that they could last an hour at most without their phone. Um, for some of you, that's, that's utterly ridiculous. For others of you, you might be thinking, hmm, yeah, maybe that's me. The, these phones are hugely, hugely important, massive features in uh, everyday modern lives. I would wager there's possibly not a single person in this room who doesn't have one of these. Anybody? Um, however, there is, there is also at the same time huge unease, I think it's fair to say, in society about phones and about our relationship with them and what, what they are doing to us, what they're doing to our brains, what they're doing to our, our relationships with other people, what they're doing to our children, particularly. And it, it feels like technology is developing these days at such a fast pace that we, we just sort of get dragged along by it without really having time to stop and think, you know, how, how should we live? What is the kind of proper etiquette of, of how, how we use phones. We are perhaps nowadays shaped more by what we can do than perhaps by what we should do. And so the other challenge that we have is that there, is, there are so many facets of, of how we interact with our phones. It's such a huge topic. Um, we can't look at everything tonight. I've put a couple of book recommendations up here for you. Um, if you do want to take out your phone, they are very handy devices. You can take a picture of, of these and take them away for, uh, to, to read later. Um, but what I want to, to do tonight is just look at our relationship with our phones and how we use them through the lens of worship and ask ourselves this question. Does my phone... Does the way that I use my phone help me to worship God, or does it feed my worship of other things? So first of all, can our phones, can our phones help us to worship God? Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, let me say up front, 
the, the purpose of this talk is not to try and convince you that phones are evil. Um, I have to say, I love technology. I am a technophile. I love uh, you know, gadgets and new shiny things. It's, technology, for, for me, is like discovering the amazing things that are possible through God's creation. It's a, it's a journey of discovery into how amazing this creation is. And, and as a result, just being amazed at God and his creativity and his wisdom and ingenuity and so on. And, you know, creation is, is a reflection of who God is. It's his good gift to us. And, and whenever we enjoy creation in a way that recognizes God as the giver, we, we give him glory. So we can, we can enjoy technology to the glory of God. And of course, more than this, we can, we can use technology for his glory. You know, we wouldn't have guitars and keyboards and, and amps and, and, uh, and PA systems were it not for, uh, f- for people's discovery of, uh, through technology. We can, of course, through our phones, access so much content that teaches us about God and that, uh, that inspires us, encourages us, and challenges us. It helps us to, to worship so much music that we can access uh, when, when we're just at home on our own that lifts our eyes to, to God. And then, of course, we also honor God by uh, honoring and loving those that, that he loves. And we can use our phones to, to be connected to other people, to, to share our lives together, to support one another in our need. So this is an incredible tool with so much power to do good. We can, we can do great things with our, with our phones. But, of course, our problem as humans is that as, as fallen people, we are naturally inclined to worship other things. And this is what, what the Bible calls idolatry. Now, uh, let me explain what, what I mean by, by that. I'm, I'm not saying that uh, we are inclined to, in, in this of 21st century Western culture, to, to create little physical statues and sing songs to them or offer little offerings to them. Um, now, when we, when we worship God, what we're doing is we are we're acknowledging him as the ultimate source of every good thing. And idolatry is when we look to other things, uh, created things, as the ultimate providers of what only God can provide, of joy and of peace and patience and security and, and, and meaning and so on. And we make sacrifices to our idols in order to get those things. We, we give of our time and our energy and, and of our money, even, even our relationships sometimes, in order to, to try and get from these idols the things that we want. Or to put it another way, an idol is something that we feel we need in order to have joy or peace or, or whatever it might be. Now, that, that doesn't mean that... Um, say God can't provide joy through something. You know, I, I very much enjoy eating chocolate. Um, I, can, I can eat it to the glory of God. Um, but if I were to say, you know, God, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly do what Greg and Andrew are doing and go to Cadan because they don't sell my preferred brand of chocolate there and, and I can't have complete joy 
without it. If I resisted the call of God because something else actually felt to me like I needed that in order to have, have fullness of joy, then it's become an idol to me. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's ask ourselves another question. Why is it that our hearts are inclined to chase after idols? And I want to suggest that perhaps there are maybe two reasons, maybe more, but these are two that, that particularly occur to me. Number one is that idols appear to offer us a, a quicker and easier way to get the thing that we want. It, they, they sort of make us feel like, uh, like joy or peace, uh, or whatever it is, it's just sort of within reach. That, that we can grab onto those things easily. We don't have to wait for, for them. And secondly, we think that we can control our idols. We, we chase after things because we think, well, I, I believe that if I do this, if I make this sacrifice, if I spend this time, if I do these things, that will get me what I want. This is more of a, like a surefire way. I can't really control... God, and I don't know when he's going to give me stuff, but I can see this way. I can make it happen. The problem is, it is all a lie. Our idols are nothing but counterfeit gods. They are, if you like, like fake medicines that we think will, will do us good, a cheaper alternative to... to to the, the, the ones that you can get privately on the NHS or whatever. But actually, not only will they not give us what we, what we want, actually, they will likely end up really damaging us in the process. And then, of course, what it means to be in the place of God is to be the one who, you know, if, if you're God, that means you get to call the shots. And if you put something in the place of God, you're allowing it to call the shots. Our idols end up controlling us, uh, not us controlling them. So it is, it is so important uh, as God's people that we are uh, on the alert for and that we resist this temptation that we have to idolatry. So with that in mind, let me, let me ask this question. Could, could my phone be an idol? in that definition that we have just uh, explored, well, in some ways, you could say yes. I mean, this, this little device that fits in my hand contains incredible power, knowledge, wisdom, the, the capacity to bring pleasure. I mean, you know, it seems to me like maybe we're not actually so different from those ancient people who gave godlike characteristics to small man-made things. But what I want to suggest tonight is that Perhaps it's, it's not really my phone that is the idol. Perhaps my phone is actually more like the temple where I come to worship my idols. Perhaps it's, it's the place where those idols that, that are already in my heart are, are fed and where they grow. So if we want a healthy relationship with our phones, then I think it's important that we take some time to identify what those underlying idols could be. Well, what I want to do in, uh, in the rest of the time that we've got is just look at three features of our phone use and just think about how might we be um, 
sort of feeding our idols through those things. So, number one, we're going to look at notifications, or as, as I like to call it, the power of the ping. So, there was a time when you may have left the office, you, you uh, left your place of work, you went home for the day, and, and your work was left behind. You couldn't do anything until you went back the next day, or you know, on, on the Monday. Or you left school, or you left church, or, or some other social context, and, and you were no longer with your friends. You were now at home, maybe on your own, or you were with your family. So life was segmented like this, but that's no longer the case. Phones have, have broken down those barriers so that wherever we are, whatever the time, they can, they can light up with this, this ping as a notification comes, comes through. Time and space have become almost irrelevant. We can now be constantly uh, contacted, constantly at the center of, of the action. And notifications have this incredible power, this pull on us. There was a study in, uh, in 2018 by Ofcom um, that, that shows that we check our phones on average every 12 minutes, which means odds on, probably some of you have been checking it at least three or four times since the service started. There was another survey over in the US that, that found that 96% of people who responded said they believed that texting or emailing while driving was a serious or very serious threat to their safety. But 39% of those same people admitted that in the previous month they had read a text or email while driving, and another 29% admitted to typing one while driving. We know that we shouldn't, but these notifications have a power over us. And for some of us, maybe the, the, the pull of our phones is the promise of productivity. You know, that might be your, your paid work, but it could equally be your, your church ministry or some other kind of project or thing that you're, you're involved in. And I think as much as we often complain about busyness and about this kind of always-on culture that, that now we have because, because we have phones, at the same time, I think our hearts sometimes secretly like it. We kind of... We kind of want it because busyness makes us feel important and valued, and it makes us feel like uh, we're in control, like we're this, this essential part of the machine. It, it fuels our pride, and it shapes our identity, too. We, um, we, we like to know who we are because of, of what we do, and, and we don't really know who we are without it. What... The flip side of, of that, of course, is that because it, it fuels our pride, because it, um, it, it shapes our identity, it also, at the same time, uh, can, can fuel a fear within us. You know, what, what will happen if I don't answer that notification? Uh, if I'm not on it, what will people think of me if I don't respond? straight away, and if, if I'm not being productive all the time, then, then what value do I really have? Could your phone, the way you use your phone, be feeding an idol of productivity? For others of us, the, uh, the, the power of the ping is the compulsion for constant connection. Uh, 
we can, we can now have continual, ongoing conversations all the time through mealtimes, uh, if you're a teenager as well. And, you know, again, it feels good to be at the centre of action. It feels good to be valued, to feel like you're accepted, like you belong. And don't get me wrong, friendship is good. You know, and work is good as well. But any good thing can become an idol. And we can tell that there's a problem when actually we can't disconnect. When we start to neglect other things that, that matter, when even we start to uh, neglect the other people who are physically present in the room with us. When we experience that, that sense of FOMO, the, the fear of missing out, and something's happening that, that I'm not involved in. Could your, your phone use be tempting you to make an idol out of friendship? Perhaps ask yourself, how would I feel if I were to turn my notifications off for 24 hours? And if, if the thought of that starts to make you feel a little bit twitchy and nervous, then, then maybe that indicates that you need to think about, oh, is there an idol in my life that I need to deal with? Okay, so uh, notifications. Number two, entertainment. There is more entertainment to us available now than, than ever before. No longer do we ever have to stand in a queue alone with our thoughts or sit at home wondering what to do. If you have one of these and you have a reasonable data connection or you have Wi-Fi, you never ever have to be bored again. There is an endless supply of TV shows and YouTube videos and articles and, and posts and, and games that we can play. And not that, again, not that, that this is all bad. If you think that, that God doesn't want us to have fun, you've, you've really missed the point of creation. But just because, for example, God created sugar, it doesn't mean that we should be eating it all the time. Okay, fun is, is a good thing. I'm, I'm absolutely not saying that God wants us to be serious and boring as a people. No, God's, God's call to us is, is the opposite, is to be people who pursue joy, but, but who pursue a, a deep, lasting, unshakable, eternal joy. But going off to that kind of long-term joy can be really hard. You know, giving, giving time to praying, to reading our Bibles, to developing relationships with other people, to serving, taking time to explore our thoughts and our feelings and considering questions about life and what we want ours to look like. All these things are, are hard. And to be honest, it is so much easier to scroll through funny cat videos. And we have to remember that everything about our phones is designed by people who want to make money from us, who, who seek to hook us, to, to, to suck us in, to hook us, to keep us scrolling. It's, it's massively powerful. Perhaps take a moment to consider your, your phone habits and your, your entertainment consumption. And if the important things are being pushed out, then, then maybe entertainment has become something of an idol to you. Thirdly, likes and follows. 
as human beings, we are often deeply insecure people. We, we crave approval, and social media gives us a very powerful way of gratifying that desire. We can post our comments and our, our pictures and our videos and, so on and get almost immediate feedback from people and affirmation. And, and like never before, we can quantify our social standing. We can put metrics uh, and, and look at our performance in a, in a sort of objective way. How many likes we're getting, how many follows, how many compared to the other people. And again, I'm not saying that social media is inherently evil, but it can feed an idol of social approval. And for some of us, maybe there's just a kind of a, a, a low level sense of that that maybe we don't even notice when we, when we post things to, to Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, depending on what age you are. Um, and we just sort of filter what we post with, with the, the most beautiful pictures of us and our happy family and these, this wonderful quiet time I was having. and Just because just we want to share the best things about our life with, with other people. But for others, it can, it can become something else and something quite dark and addictive even when, uh, when we start constructing effectively a new self, a, a social media identity that we try and project out there for other people to see. We, we craft our posts in such a way to try and create a, a more exciting, uh, more beautiful, more physically toned, more spiritual version of ourselves. And, you know, we may not immediately notice the, the, the damage that this idol does, because often the damage is first to other people. I don't know if you know what it's like when you've, you've just had a bit of a rubbish day, and maybe you don't feel so great as a parent or about the state of your house, and you scroll through these images of people with their beautifully kept houses and how they've just baked fresh bread for their children who've, who've all spent an hour doing a Bible study and come and laid the table and been so grateful for it. <laughs> And you just feel rubbish about yourself. But, you know, the more that this gets hold of us, the more it hurts us too. And when, when, when as, a, as a society we start wearing masks like this, it, it, it fosters a culture of shame and of condemnation and of guilt and, and of fear of being found out. So if you are a, if you're a frequent poster on social media, let me, let me just in, encourage and slightly challenge you to, to check and reflect on your motives. Has, has perhaps the approval of other people become something of an idol to you? So here are, here are three examples. I mean, this is not exhaustive by any means. Maybe these have hit home to you. Maybe there are other things that, um, that, that are particularly relevant to you, but not maybe these things. The point tonight is not to sort of give you the answers or tell you what to think or how to behave. The point is to just try and get you thinking, um, to, to encourage you not to be mindless, not to just be conformed to the way that, that everyone else uses these phones, but, but to step back, to actively try and think, I want to renew my mind um, in, in how I use technology and, and phones. So if we know that we have challenges and, and problems, and as I think if we're honest, many of us do. What, what is the solution? 
what, what is the answer to this? Well, certainly it's not, it's not discipline alone. Setting screen limits and, and rules for your, your kids, that it, it won't ultimately cut it. As, as Paul says in Romans, yeah, the law is by itself powerless to save. No, idolatry is, a, is ultimately a matter of the heart. It's, it's the worship of created things. And so to, to address that, we need to, we need to renew our minds in a way that, that stirs our heart to worship the right thing, to, uh, to focus on God, to, to help us to increasingly worship him because he is better. He is better than, than any idol. We said earlier we worship idols because we think they will give us what, what we want. But God is the source of all joy, all purpose, all acceptance, all, all peace and meaning. All these things are found in, in the truth of who he is and in what he has done and, and all that he has, has promised. And, and because he is good, all of his ways are good. They are perfect and, and pleasing. We can, we can follow him. We can live in the way that he calls us to live because, because his ways are good. He is no counterfeit. He is the real deal. And yes, following Jesus is not easy. And, and it, may, it may need discipline. Um, but, but it is worth it. His it may not feel as immediately entertaining, but his goodness is, is true and lasting. And the more satisfied that we are in him, the less that we will, we will chase after idols. We said that we worship idols because we think that we can control them. Yeah, we, we make our sacrifices to idols in order to, to get. It's this kind of uh, transactional relationship. If, if I do this, then I'll, I'll get that. It's like we, we kind of uh, reach up, if you like, to try and pull down uh, the things that, that we want. But grace works the other way round. Yes, Paul, Paul also calls us to, to make sacrifices, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, but it's not in order to get, it's because we already have. Paul says we do this in view of the mercies of God. It's because Jesus has made the ultimate sacrifice for us. Because, because the grace of God has come down to us to lift us up. It's the, it's the opposite. Not us reaching up to take. No, God reaches down to us to raise us up with him. He has already given us purpose, acceptance, Meaning, a reason for endless joy. We didn't deserve it. We, we cannot earn it. We don't need to strive for it, work for it. We don't need to fear missing out on it. We have all we need for life and godliness, as it says in, in 2 Peter. And, and we, we live out of that. So we're going to turn to communion now as, uh, as a way of uh, both feasting almost quite sort of literally on, uh, on God and delighting in him and at the same time remembering his grace, the, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Perhaps um, Jess if you want to come up and, um, and play for us. We're going to sing and celebrate as we take communion but let me, 
uh, invite us up with, with these words from Isaiah 55. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And you will delight in the richest of fare. I just got a ping. <laughs> I'm going to go and check it now.